Hey everyone, welcome back to Teen Apologetics. Super excited that you're joining us today to have Dr. Geraint Lewis. Um, he's a professor um, of astrophysics at the Sydney Institute for Astronomy, part of the University of Sydney. Um, he's done a lot of work on all kinds of things um, in cosmology and astrophysics. And today we're going to talk about like, the data of fine tuning and like what Geraint, as an atheist, like thinks regards, with regards to that data. So, Geraint, welcome. Geraint, Geraint, um, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm super excited for this conversation. And yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you because obviously like, like on my channel, like um, we get a lot of like different like Christians and atheists that listen. But a lot of times when we talk about fine tuning, um, we get, I get like the Christian side of things. So I'm super excited to see like more of like your side of things where like you, you're kind of like a believer in fine tuning, but like you don't take it like the theism route that others do. Um, so yeah. I'm excited for this conversation. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Okay. So Grant, just to start us off, do you want to just give a little bit of an introduction, like who you are and like what got you interested in topics like we're talking about today? Yeah, so as you said, I'm a professor of astrophysics at the University of Sydney. Uh, I've been there for 20 years now. Um, and my sort of main research area is uh, the, the dark side of the universe. So I'm very interested in the, the dominant dark matter and dark energy, which basically um, shape the evolution of the universe. So I, I've got a whole bunch of observational and theoretical programs, which I'm trying to look at that side of what's going on when we look through our telescopes. But I've also got an interest in the, the bigger kind of picture. So, you know, an awful lot of cosmology focuses on um, this universe and only really cares about what you can see through your telescope. Uh, and But I like to look at the bigger questions as well as, you know, where did the universe come from? Is it related to something that existed before? Are we part of something bigger in terms of a multiverse, etc.? So um, I like to at least ponder those kind of questions. I'm not a philosopher. I don't have any philosophical training, but I do like to talk to people about these bigger questions. Mm, that's super cool. Great. So let's get into like, what is this data of like fine tuning? So obviously you covered a book with like Luke Barnes, um, a fortunate universe and like Luke Barnes is a Christian. Um, like what exactly is the data fine tuning that we're exploring here um, that we're going to talk about today? Well, I think it's important to remember that what we when we're talking about um, fine tuning, the starting point is the fact that, you know, our, our physical laws are written in mathematics. So we can play, um, you know, we can build our own universes by just messing around with the mathematics. So we can actually, you know, try and represent our universe by taking the mathematics that we see for the physics around us. And, and um, as you know, that in these equations are these, these numbers, which um, the, the theory doesn't tell us what these numbers should be. Things like the speed of light, the gravitational constant, the fine, uh, fine structure constant, etc. These numbers are needed for our physical theories to work. But the only way we can work, we can get these numbers is by asking nature. So we need to do experiments. And once we've got those numbers, we can then predict what we're going to see when stars evolve or galaxies collide or something like that. But then there's a temptation. Right? I mean, we, um, physicists also love a little bit of counterfactual stuff, right? You know, you ask yourself the question, well, what happens if, I, if things were slightly different? What if I, you know, instead of having a fine structure constant of this value, I put in that value. And because the fundamental physics acts at the smallest scales and then works its way up. You know, the universe is, you know, the tail wagging the dog kind of thing, right? It's the small scale which gets written into the large scale universe. Messing around with these fundamental constants will give you a radically different kind of universe. So if you start with the premise that what if these 
fundamental constants could be different and ask yourself the question, what kind of universes you create, what you find is it's very easy to create um, dead and sterile universes. And, and importantly for the question of fine tuning, what you, could, what you end up with um, are universes that lack any complexity. So in, in our universe, the complexity is written into things like um, the periodic table, the fact that we've got 92 elements and we can add those together in a, you know, a myriad of different ways. Of course, carbon is one of the important ones. And you can build up different molecules and those molecules can interact and eventually you get to us sitting here talking. If, if you rob a universe of the ability uh, to host complexity, then you also rob it of the ability of information processing, energy processing, etc. You basically rob it of all the sort of fundamental aspects of what you think life would require. So, you know, a universe of you know, just a sea of neutrons, you're never going to produce any thinking creatures in those universes. So the entire fine-tuning question comes back to, um, I said, thinking about if fundamental constants were different, we easily make dead universes. So the question is, why do we find ourselves in a universe that hosts complexity? Mm. So like we're looking at like the big picture fine tuning, like we have these physical laws um, that kind of like undergird everything, like everything's kind of like follows the course of these physical laws in some sense. Um, and like when we look at like trying to understand like what are these physical laws, we have math, um, we use like math to kind of describe these laws. And like what you're like the fine tuning like proponents are saying is like, hey, there's a lot of different other like math so we can use to describe these physical laws that lead to like way wacky things. Um, where we don't have a universe that allows for things like complexity, which is going to give us like the complex life um, that we want. And that's kind of like where the fine tuning um, kind of plays in. Yes. But in fact, there are, there are multiple levels here, right? So step one is just adjusting the, the constants from our universe to come up with other universes. But then, as you said, you know, it's, it's a mathematical structure. And so if you go further, you can play with the mathematics and come up with different mathematics inside of a universe we could add new forces or add new dimensions or things like that mm. and essentially doing any of those kind of things tends to be really bad for the prospect of life in a universe we know that if we reduce the number of spatial dimensions from three to two then you know complexity in two dimensions is very difficult right to to, to basically i don't know if you've read abbott's book flatland from the 1800s Okay, but you know, he, even back then they realized that two-dimensional life would be you know, a difficult thing to do, right? Because we, uh, we take advantage of our three-dimensional structure to pass food through ourselves, et cetera. You can't do that in two dimensions without coming up with some sort of weird, freaky kind of biology stuff. And then if you start adding dimensions, then things like predictability go out the window. So if you if imagine that we lived in a universe that had two dimensions of time, right? Now, mm -hmm. you know, it's hard for us to even imagine what that means, but I can write down the equations to put in an extra dimension of time. And then, so what that does for you, of course, is that predictability becomes very messy because you have to worry about what's going on in those two time dimensions. And one of the nice things about physics is that, you know, we, we have a future, we have a past, and we don't have to worry about a future over there and a future over here and how they're related. Hmm. Yeah, it's super helpful, like, looking at, like, hey, there's different, like, layers of, like, fine-tuning. So, like, do you think, like, what are some, like, examples um, looking at fine-tuning? Like, what would you bring forward to say, like, hey, there is this question of, like, why we have a universe that's going to allow for, like, this complex life to come into existence? 
Oh, well, look, there's so many of them. I mean, I've got a few that um, I, I, I personally like um, to do with things like the masses of the fundamental particles, right? So we, we live in a universe where, you know, at the fundamental level, we've got these particles, we have quarks and we have leptons. And the most famous lepton is the electron, right? It's the one that, you know, orbits every single atom of our body, right? Um, and then we have the quarks, and it's the quarks that make up the protons and the neutrons, which are the building blocks of matter. And one of the things is that the masses of the quarks means that the lowest mass baryon, as it's called, the lowest mass pop, pop member of this family is the proton. So the neutron is very, very slightly more massive than the proton, which means that neutrons can decay into protons, but protons are effectively stable. Now, if we messed around with the masses of the quarks, we could change that. We could change the lowest mass particle to be the neutron rather than the proton, which would mean protons decay into neutrons, but neutrons are, are really useless. They're, they're not charged. They're, 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 they're useful for mass and bulking up the nucleus of your atom, but you can't create an atom out of just neutrons. So you, you can already start to play with these, these masses and you don't have to play with them very much. I mean, the, the neutron is only slightly more massive than the proton. You can even play other games where you, you could adjust those masses again and you get that your lowest mass baryon is a particle known as, you know, a, a, you know physicists are rubbish at naming things. It's called the delta plus plus. Okay, so it looks like a proton, but it has a charge of two rather than one. So that means it looks like helium rather than hydrogen. And of course, one of the things that we have in our universe is that we get lots of things occurring because stars are made of hydrogen, hydrogen burns into heavier elements, etc. Helium is kind of useless. It, it, doesn't, um, it doesn't form molecules, right? It, it's just one of those rubbishy kind of um, molecules that we have in the universe is not very good for adding to the complexity. So just playing around with those fundamental masses can change the constituent nature of the universe on a very small scale. And then that has big implications on the large scale universe. Mm. Okay, that's super helpful. And what I want to do um, for our audience is know, like, we've done a lot of like in-depth conversations at the data fine tuning. So I kind of want to leave it like the data there for there and like say, like, hey, there is this like big question. Um, and what I wonder is, like, like, like for you, like, as an atheist, like, why do we need an explanation for fine tuning? Like, why can't like someone just say, like, hey, it's just the way it is, and just move on, and like that—that's the end of the story. Well, because physicists don't like that kind of answer, right? I mean, mm -hmm. if you if you get to the point where you have to say, right, there there is there is no explanation for this thing that's in front of me, that then itself becomes a mystery of why is there no explanation? Okay, so let, let me give you an example. So, so remember, I sort of said um, uh, the, the starting premise was if the fundamental constants could be different, we get different universes. Now, there are those that say that we can't even ask that question because we don't know if the fundamental constants could be different. But if they weren't, imagine that they were exactly the values that we measure and there, there's no prospect of them being something else. So imagine that we got to an ultimate theory that predicted what the fundamental constants would be. So the speed of light would be some mathematical relationship involving pi and e and all the other mathematical constants. No freedom, okay? So we'd end up with a theory that would explain everything. But then the next question is, is, well, why this theory? 
right? Mm. Because, you know, in mathematics, you, you could, you, you start off with axioms and you build up your mathematics and we have a set of axioms that built up the mathematics for our universe. Well, why did we end up with this particular theory for this universe? And as a physicist, I would say, well, I think there has to be something deeper, something bigger than the physics itself that has to explain, you know, why this particular sort of co combination of mathematics and constants, even though they're set perfectly with just the maths in front of me. So for me, then that would lead into the question of, well, where did the universe come from? How did this mathematics get written into the universe? And what was the process behind that? And as you said, being an atheist, uh, for me, it would have to be a physical process, which means that ultimately, um, in, in a physicist, physicist viewpoint, I should at some point be able to come up with a, the bigger mathematics that explains where our subset of mathematics came from. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's super helpful. And like, I think it's like, I like how you emphasize, like, like as a scientist, like you want to explain things like as far as you can. Like, so if like we have this question of like, we have this like apparent anomaly of like um, there being like this life permitting universe when it looks like there's a lot more likely chance that there's not um, then like, yeah, like we should pursue an explanation for it. Like it's a good thing for us to do. And it would make sense that if there's an anomaly, there probably is an explanation. Um, is that fair? Um, yeah. But again, you have to be careful with the word anomaly, right? Okay. I mean, mm -hmm. anomaly means you're already singling something out as being a bit weird. Right. It, it, it might be that there's nothing particularly weird about our universe. It might be that the universe created machine or however our universe came into being can only produce universes like this. And this is what we would like to see. See, fine. Right. It, or it spits universes out with random combinations. And, you know, then we have to invoke the anthropic principle. But there, there, there is, I think, a deeper question hidden in fine tuning. And for me, there is a, a physical solution somewhere that we need to find. Mm, okay. So I'm curious then, like, Grant, like, in your opinion, like, what is your explanation? If we're going to say, like, well, like what is there fine-tuning? You talked about there being, like, some sort of deeper explanation. Um, maybe you have all the answers and you, like, got 100% right. Um, but, like, like what, what do you think? Like, when, what, like, when you're, like, what theory would you, like, lean towards is, like, your best explanation of, like, why there's fine-tuning? Um, yeah, oh, well, I'm going to take a small step backwards. As you mentioned, <laughs> I wrote the book with Luke, and Luke is a is a Christian, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons we wrote the book is we got tired of people telling us what the answer is, right? Mm, so, yeah. you know, you come from the scientific perspective, they say, well, this is the answer. You come from the uh, theistic perspective, they say, this is the answer. And of course, you've got two different answers. And part of the reason that we wanted to write the book was to outline the fact that fine-tuning is a physical question, right? Mm. So it's, it's something that physics should worry about. And then in the last chapter, what we wanted to do is say that really nobody has the answer. What we did is we, we said, right, cards on the table that we think that this is a possibility, this is a possibility, this is a possibility. But there are other ones that we probably haven't thought of yet as well, right? Mm, yeah. So my, I guess my, um, my leaning would be towards this notion of a multiverse, the notion that um, you know, the Big Bang uh, was not... Uh, was not the only sort of creation event that's ever occurred in the overall life of all the universes, right? The universes are essentially being created essentially all the time through the multiverse and that there is some process in there and that process, when the universe is born, 
the laws of physics get written into that universe through the, the formation process. And I, I still think that it's, um, again, possibly a roll of the dice kind of thing, and that most universes in the multiverse are actually those dead and sterile universes. And, you know, we should not be that surprised to find ourselves in a universe that can host life. As, you know, where else would we expect to find ourselves? Mm. Well, first, I just want to emphasize, I appreciate you and Luke. Um, and as I read the book, I felt the same thing, your humility in saying, like, um, like first outlining the problem, like, yeah, there's this fine tuning. Like, it's a physical problem. Like, physicists need to think about this problem. Like, it's not something just for, like, the philosophers and theologians and things like this. Like, we have this physical problem. And I appreciate you guys saying, like, oh, well, you read this whole book, and now here's the answer. Problem solved. Like, pack up. Like, that's not the approach you guys take. Um, and I really appreciate that because like, it's not like any of us have, like, the whole, like, nine yards and have it all figured out. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate, um, both your humility and like kind of that, taking that approach. That's great. Um, so then here's what I'm wondering, like, so we're thinking about the multiverse hypothesis, someone, um, so then I'm wondering, like, so someone might ask like, like, well, why is there this multiverse generator? Is this like the end of like the chain of explanation or like, um, what's going on here? So we could explain maybe fine tuning, um, through like some sort of like multiverse, like generator creator, you know, something like this. Um, if I'm having you right then like, like what explains that multiverse um, creating machine thingy-majiggy? Um, what do you think? Well, okay, so, so you know, you run, into, you run into the small child problem here, yeah? <laughs> which is the, yeah. you know, but why, right? Yeah. So you, there, there is the question of what answer would satisfy you, right? When you say, okay, mm -hmm. now I sort of understand that. If you, if you ever listen to lectures by people like Richard Feynman, where he points out that even if you want to explain what is a magnetic field to somebody, at some point you have to say, well, you know, I, I can no longer do any other analogies. This is what it is. You know, what explanation will satisfy you kind of thing. So the, we can always say, right, okay, I can, I can talk about fine tuning in the context of a multiverse. And if I want to then take it one step higher, ask where did the multiverse come from? And seeing that we don't even have a theory for, a, for a, a multiverse, right? A multiverse is not a theory. A multiverse is, is an idea, hypothesis. It's a dream, right? It, because mm -hmm. we don't have mathematics to describe it. We can't even start to tackle that question, right? Because all I'm doing, if I want to sort of say, where did the multiverse come from? I'm just heaping speculation on speculation. And... Uh, Fair enough. I, I could probably get seats at the table for some philosophical conference where I could, you know, wax lyrical about that kind of stuff. But you've stopped doing science at some level then. Uh, you've stopped doing science at some level then, right? So what we really need to do before we can start to dig down into that deeper question is, is deal with what's in front of us first, right? First question is, is the multiverse... Uh, a realistic solution to fine tuning? I think it is. If it is, then what mathematics do I need to describe the multiverse? Do I already have the tool set in the laws of physics that I've worked out in this universe to talk about other universes? Or is there a, a mathematical breakthrough and new mathematics or something that's required before I can talk about how a multiverse operates? When I eventually get to that stage where I think I've got to work in um, hypothesis model for a multiverse, then I think I can start to ask the big question, well, where, where does this fit into the, the overall picture? And it, it might be, again, that you, 
you run up against the same problem that you, you fill up the mathematics, there's no freedom left and you've got, you get to that point and you are left with the question, where did the mathematics of the multiverse come from? Mm. Now, I don't know, have you read any of Max Tegmark's work? I have not. Okay, so Next Max time. Tegmark, um, he, he wrote a book called, I think it was called The Mathematical Universe, mm-hmm. where essentially he was proposing that, um, you know, we write down equations, da, da, uh, but he was saying that there's actually more to the u- universe than the equations, that the universe itself is mathematics being processed somehow, right? Okay. And so that the universe itself, if you could, if you could get in the really small scale, is actually little calculations going on. And he said, well, then you could imagine that in this space of mathematical calculations, all possible mathematical calculations are going on. So all of the multiverse and all the multiverses and multiverses are in this mathematical calculation. And then you have to ask yourself, well, well, where are these calculations being carried out? And the answer is, well, you know, it's it's the fundamental stuff of the universe. It it might not have an explanation in, again, in a sense that would satisfy you, right? It it might be one of those things that at the end of the day just is. Mm. And yeah, and again, the physicists don't like that because it's... It's almost a defeatist attitude, right? In the sense that you've said, I can't go any further with this, these ideas. And we, we hate that. But it might be the case that we end up at that point. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. I appreciate that. And I think like, I think you're, there's something really right about what you're saying, Geraint. Like, I think everyone's going to have to end at some sort of like explanation and say like, that's the way it is. Like as a theist, like I'm going to have to say like, um, like God exists and like that's just foundation like it is or like the foundation is like perfect um and that's the way like something along those lines I'm probably gonna have to do and like put my foot down and say like this is just like this is the way things are and it's not gonna have a further explanation like um and I think there's something right like I think like even if you're gonna say like um maybe there's like an infinite like there before this like universe or like Big Bang there's another one like going all the way back you kind of say like well yeah it's just the way it is like it seems like to me everyone has to like pause it I think if you press further enough um just something where they're just going to say like yeah like that's the way it is and like stop the five-year-old just asking like what about this what about this um yeah to me that's what it seems like yeah um but of course the one of the so one of the interesting things in this entire um uh i put debate in inverted commas because it's often a shouting match it is um it's quite clear that different directions for solutions are more satisfying for different people right we're individuals mm-hmm. And, you know, those that go down the uh, theistic as opposed to the atheistic viewpoint, of course, have very different solutions to the perceived problem. For those who think about it, I know some people don't think about it at all. Um, And I think at some level we have to appreciate that some of this, again, I'm choosing my words very carefully, you know, Mm -hmm. is uh, personal preference, is that the right word? I mean, it, it's the... We all see things differently, so... Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the, the Beatles philosophy, isn't it, right? Whatever gets you through the night. Mm, you know, yeah. it's, it's that... If you, if, you can, if you think that this is a, an answer that you're, you're okay with, then, then I think that's, that's kind of fine. But we have to live with the fact that, as individuals, di- different people see different solutions. And mm. from the... Um, from the atheistic side, of course, me thinking that this is a physical problem 
means that I will keep digging until I can really dig no further into, you know, why the universe is the way it is. Mm. Yeah, I think that's good, Grant. And I think it emphasizes, like, we're all going to see things differently. Like, um, and it, like, it just highlights, like, the, the person-based nature of, like, justification. Like, me and you, like, um, we have different, like, backgrounds and experiences. And, like, that's going to impact how we look at, like, the data of fine-tuning. We have to realize that because, um, like, people, there's people that are, like, rational and they disagree with you. And there's people that are rational and disagree with me. Um, I think that's important. So I want to backtrack for a sec because this, this kind of came to my mind as you were talking about like the multiverse. Um, so like if you're going to lean towards like some sort of multiverse theory, is it the data of like fine tuning that pushes you there? So like I'm thinking like say fine tuning isn't a problem and you could just like not have to like it wasn't like an, a very like improbable event to have a fine tuned universe like complex life like you and me. Um, would you still hold to like a multiverse for other reasons? Do you, do you think like a multiverse is a great theory that combines a bunch of things together? Or is the fine-tuning mostly pushing you that way? Um, yeah, what's your take on that? Well, I, I, let me... I guess I, I have wondered about... So, so for me, right, it, mm -hmm. you, the universe's origins, right? Where did the universe come from? Um, and you know, the, the Big Bang picture, growth of the universe, etc. And we have this time equals zero, the, the birth point of the universe. And I find that unsatisfactory that that was the start of space and time. And that before that, there was a true nothing, right? So, you know, Lawrence Krauss's book, A Universe from Nothing, posits that idea that possibly that that was the initial start point and there really was a true nothing before that point. And of course, we, we can get together with the philosophers and argue about the meaning of nothing. Um, but... But I personally find that um, unsatisfying. I don't completely disregard it in that it, I think it's a potential. But for me, um, I think that there has to be a connection to something else in the sense that our universe came from an existing process, an existing space-time structure, etc. Now, there's a, a couple of potential views that you can take. You could either have a universe which is sort of uh, born, lives, dies, born, lives, dies, born, lives, dies, etc. And so you've got these cycles of universe. And of course, they've come in and out of fashion for a long, long time. And the, you know, there's a current version called the um, Ekpyrotic universe by mm -hmm. um, Steinhardt and Turok. Okay. Right? So this is essentially this idea that the universe is, is born, lives for a period of time, Recollapses, born for a period of time, etc. So then you've got this sort of like linear life of the universe. There's still one universe, but you know we just da, 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 live along. But then you sort of think, well, okay, I can add complexity to that picture. Why, why produce one universe when you could produce two or ten or ten to the ten or some number? Because there's no no space restriction, no time restriction, etc. Um, and they, at some level, there's also um, uh, restrictions which we think of based upon the physics that we have in our universe that doesn't necessarily hold in the, the space of the multiverse. Mm. And so I thought, yeah, well, you know, if, if you could create one universe, why stop there? And why, does, why, why doesn't the process continue, produce other universes, etc.? And so you could very nat naturally wave your hands towards a multiverse picture very easily by just thinking about, well, why, why was our universe born at all? Right? And you know, if there's a process, then what it's going off once seems kind of bizarre when it could 
be a semi-infinite amount of time, a number of times. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think that's super helpful. Um, so thank you for the clarity. Um, great. So as we move into like the second half, what I'd love to do um, is talk about like why you think um, this explanation may be better. Like in your view than say like, like a theism. So like, obviously like your co-author Luke Barnes, like he's a theist and like, I'm a theist. So I'm curious, like in your view, like um, what makes like your theory of like a multiverse, why would you see this? Like, and why in your, and why in your mind is this more plausible than say like saying like, maybe there's a God that finds you in the universe or something else along like a theistic side of things. Um, okay. So again, it's that partly down to background, right? I've, I've been, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, sort of like a, a, an, an atheist for quite a long time. I mean, I was, I wasn't really raised in a, in a particularly religious tradition, but I did sort of, uh, skirt with some religion when I was, uh, younger, but when I went down that science route and I read some of the philosophy around, um, uh, you know, science versus religion you know there's a back time when you know Stephen Jay Gould was writing a lot about uh, this kind of stuff I I realized that for me um, to explain the physical world what was needed were the equations in front of me okay mm -hmm. and I, I, I also um, not a biologist but I, I've read an awful lot of evolutionary biology and the history of evolutionary biology and etc understand all of the various arguments god of the gaps blah, blah blah so so for me i could see that um the the picture of science as being the description of the universe worked really well mm -hmm. and that therefore you didn't need um you need, didn't need a hand in there to to control the way the electrons fly around uh, uh in the nucleus of an atom, etc. So I got that sort of very you know, natural worldview that there's that there's just nature equations, and that's the way that the universe works. Um, and I guess that that has become stronger over my career. In that, of course, uh, nowhere in my research papers when I'm studying dark matter or dark energy, gravitational energy, etc., do mm -hmm. I need to invoke um, any sort of you know spiritual kind of yeah. explanation of what we see through a telescope. And in fact, if I did, I, I'm pretty sure my paper would be rejected from the journal anyway. Right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and Luke, of course, is the same. Luke, Luke uh, I, I don't want to put words into Luke's mouth, but no, Luke is a, a practicing scientist and he writes scientific papers and we write scientific papers together. And we know that those papers do not need or require uh, any sort of, um, hand of God in there to explain what it is we're trying to trying to um, trying to explain. So uh, for for me, uh, that kind of picture that things are driven by the fundamental forces, the fundamental masses of of objects, is just something I, I project onto larger scale. Right? If I had to ask the question, uh, so if I I'll put it this way. So anytime I'm faced with a, uh, a question of trying to understand something, right? My first principles are, right, what are the laws of physics that apply here? Okay. And that works, of course, explaining star formation and uh, said orbits of planets, etc. Then you go to the bigger questions of like, where did the universe come from? Right. And how is it? 
uh, related possibly to other structures and to the fine tuning question? Well, it would be, you know, it would not be me following my, my scientific nose to suddenly look at that question and say, well, I need a different answer for that, mm-hmm. right? Because I don't know, because it's a bigger question. But to me, they're all scientific questions that should be answered with science. I, I, I personally don't need to have that, um, uh, that additional hypothesis for explaining things I can't explain. If things mm-hmm. aren't explained at the moment, I still think that if I hit it hard enough with the physics hammer, eventually I will find out how it works in terms of physics. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so, so, so for me, the, the, the question of a uh, theistic solution to fine tuning isn't really on the table in that that's not me whacking things with a physics hammer, right? That's me deciding that this is the solution. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not happy in um, entertaining some of, some alternative ideas, right? You know, we all know about the, the simulation hypothesis and the, the notion that, that we are a simulation running on a computer in a universe above. Uh, I, I mean, that, that to me doesn't sound completely outlandish. It, it's not that a million miles away from what... Um, uh, uh, Max Tegmark is suggesting, right, that we are just basically mathematical calculations, and you know, this is all, you know, fiction, really, right? It, it, you yeah. Know, well, at some level, it's all—it's already fiction. Your brain is putting together some sort of lie to keep you happy about what's going on around you. Mm. So I, I can entertain that idea as a, a philosophically interesting idea. Uh, I can see that it is a potential, but it, again, it's more fanciful than I think what a physical solution would be, right? So again, physical solution, either there's a theory of everything that explains everything, either there's a multiverse or some other physical process we haven't quite understood that that leads to fine tuning. Mm -hmm. That's really helpful. And I think it brings a lot of like clarity, Geraint, because I think there's something right about what you're saying. So if you think about... um... Like, you know, like science, like I'm reading a book, um, like on science right now, um, like it's called like a brief history of everything. Like it's an older book. Um, and you look at, like you can read a whole science book and there's no need for like a supernatural like agency or something like that. And like yeah. what you're trying to like bring out here is like from a simplicity point of view, it was like, well, if we can use that to explain all this. Like, why do we need to go any further? Um, like looking at the question of fine tuning, like um, if like we can stick to like the science stuff um, to explain everything that we're looking at now like why can't we just keep doing that so yeah i think there's something really um helpful about what you're saying from a simplicity point so i wanted to emphasize that um to the audience because like obviously ultimately i disagree with you but like i I see where you're coming from and that does make a lot of sense to me um because it it is like a good argument for simplicity to show like this view is makes makes some sense yeah yeah well and as we said earlier on i i i'm not too upset that we disagree right i mean mm-hmm. i said we're individuals we probably disagree on our favorite music favorite movies and all <laughs> kinds of other things as well yeah. right so um again i think it's important to remember that science is not this one single monolithic endeavor where we're all mm. basically yes men and women we just shuffle everything forward it's yeah. made up of individuals and there are whole range of viewpoints and mm-hmm. it you know the thing evolves with time about which path that we're going to go down and this is this again this is part of the reason why we wrote the book is when we got tired of people telling us that they know the answer to fine-tuning when we know that nobody knows the answer to mm-hmm. fine-tuning right 
So yeah. I'm happy for you to have your hypothesis. I'm happy for my hypothesis. As the data comes in, we'll have to, to juggle our hypothesis and hypotheses, see which one survives and which one doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. Um, so one thing I wonder about, like, um, like looking at these two hypotheses, like, um, is something I've thought about, like, when looking at this question is just like, um, like, would we really like expect God to be like in between like these like scientific like anomalies? Um, switching directions a tiny bit here, but on the same page, like, so I'm thinking like, um, like, can it really count against like a theistic like account of things? Um, if we're gonna say like, I'm gonna say like, well, what if God just creates the universe? Um, where like he wants scientific discovery and he wants things to flow like a natural course of things. Like if that's the case, then we wouldn't expect there to be like, like we have to like, you'd be writing your paper and it's like A causes B, C ca B causes C, God, D causes Z, like in the gap. Like what, like to me, like it seems more plausible that like there'd be like a more like ordered structured um, universe then. So my question then for you would be like, is like, like, what do you think about that? Like, would you expect like if God exists, like would he have this kind of like intervention that's super obvious um, I know I'm getting you a little, like pushing you out of the scientist, um, um, cap for a little bit here, but like, like, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, again, um, I'm not, I'm not a philosopher of religion, mm -hmm. but of course, clearly a lot of people think that, uh, God does play a role in their daily lives. And yeah. there are people that believe in miracles, which is, mm -hmm. you know, basically God bending the rules of physics for individual people. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, where, where, where do you want to draw the line, right? Yeah. In, in that, do you have um, an interventionist God who plays a daily role in people's lives? Then I, why, why doesn't he play a role in the laws of physics, right? Why can't I find him? Why can't I find a process where I can't explain by the laws of physics and say, Oh, this this needs a supreme being in here. Mm -hmm. Or oh, why why does God only step in to start the universe? Right mm -hmm. now, is it is it really you know has he, has he set us up as a holiday project and he's gone away and he's going to come back and take a look later? Or is it you know what why just then and not you know the universe is almost fourteen billion years old, right? Yeah. Uh, as Modern humans, we've been around for a few hundred thousand years. So, you know, what, what, was, what was God doing um, in that intervening almost 14 billion years? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know. I, I, again, I'm not a religious philosopher. I, 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 I couldn't start to answer. But it, if it is one of those questions, which in my mind is, you, you're trying, not, not, not you personally, but mm -hmm. the, the endeavor of religion seems to have more than a single picture of what this God is and what yeah. they do and how they get involved. And I think that can lead to uh, part of the arguments that we have here. In the sense, as I said, if, if you have a God that um, produces miracles and therefore defies the laws of physics, they, they are open to the laws of physics and science, right? We, we, mm. we could... We could do an experiment, come into the lab and let's do a miracle and we can go, whoa, we have evidence here that laws of physics are broken at some level and something's stepping in. Um, but instead, if you want to hide God in just the start of the universe, then, yeah, it, for me, it seems a really strange thing to want to do. And, and, you know, and again, set the universe off 
as a soup of ultra high energy particles and radiation and expect that in 14 billion years, it's all going to cool down such that we are sitting here talking, right? So mm -hmm. again, wh where was the, the hand of God over the last 14 billion years? And if, it, if there had been interventions on a reasonable scale, you know, forming stars or galaxies, etc., we would we would notice, right? It would be part of the the law somewhere. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great question, um, and I'll kind of leave it to the audience to um, chew on that. And I got you in that as well. So we have like about like ten minutes left, um, or so. Is there any other like topics like great um, that you want to bring up or talk about um, before we wrap up here? Um. I, I guess as a as a sideline, as a mm -hmm. as, with with regards to. Uh, what we've been speaking about. Um, and, and, and I'm going to try not to become a bit kumbaya here, right? <laughs> it, it, would be, it would be nice if there was more, um, more dialogue between the theistic and atheistic sides, mm -hmm. right? So, I, I mean, I've been involved in a number of these things now um, and where I've sp spoken, you know, to both sides, yeah, and the antagonism is rather exhausting, mm -hmm. right? I, I don't know why when it became a you know a one-upmanship kind of game to try and put down the other side, and yeah. I, you know I got I I was invited onto something to do a recording, and then before I knew it, somebody was saying oh, that there is a scientific war on religion, and mm. and it's like where. Where is this scientific war religion? And, and of course, what they mean, what they mean is, is that people like Dawkins and Krauss say things, but they, they don't actually represent scientists. Mm -hmm. And I just said, I just wish there would be more discussion like this, right? So people can yeah. really see what the other side are really thinking rather than just the extremes yelling at each other from the hills. So mm. it, 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 I mean, we wrote the book. It's, the book is now... Uh, six years old, I think. And, yeah. and I don't think anything's changed on that front. Mm. I, 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 still see, I still see the rebel rousers on both sides. And I said that, you know, I, we can point to, uh, you know, the, the uh, publicity sort of hounds on science. You know, they said Dawkins, Krauss, um, uh, DeGrasse Tyson, etc., who make these comments. Uh, and then it just becomes flame wars. So yeah, I think a bit, a bit more uh, restrained dialogue would be good. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's super good. And I think we just gotta have more conversations with each other, like conversations like this um, and having people like um, on different ends of the things that can just like talk about these things um, and just have a conversation. Like, I feel like um, either if like in the middle of like a tense debate or um, if you're just doing like a lecture to like an audience where everyone's on your side, it's very easy to kind of, just, like, you know, like rile up the crowd and like push things out. Um, when you have conversations like this, I think it helps um, to shed clarity. And obviously like your book with Luke is a great example. Um, but then we got to spread that to people that may not think the same way um, as you and I would hope to be more kumbaya. Um, like for me personally, um, I can't, it's hard for me to like call out like, like if I call out an atheist and say like, Hey, you're not being very like charitable to my side. It's a lot harder for me in my experience to reach them than maybe like it would be for an atheist to reach them. But like for me, if I see like Christians um, or theists, like doing like being uncharitable, 
I feel I feel like it's easier for me to say, like, hey, you got to be charitable to the other side. Um, and I've seen this in other channels. Like, there's channels like um, Emerson Green on YouTube, or like there's Christians like um, Christian Idealism. Like, we're, like they're they're pushing this kind of way, this path forward where we can just have conversations. Um, I think that's disarming when you can see people that like you really respect um, just have a conversation with someone you disagree with. Um, I find that I think that's very disarming to people and helps them in. We got, like you said, we got a long ways to go, and I don't know if things have changed, like you said, in the past six years. But I feel like conversations like this, and like more of them, if if there's a path, it seems like that's got to be the way forward. Um, yeah, is the way I see yeah. it. So, uh, and 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 similarly, I mean, the on things like the discussions on fine tuning, right? I, uh, one of the things I find is like yeah, I, I watch a few YouTube videos from the theistic side as well, right? Mm-hmm. And it's quite clear that on the on the theistic side, the understanding of the physics of fine tuning can be a little bit ropey. Yeah. So, you know, having, having some scientists on board, and of course you've got, Luke understands this kind of stuff. So you've got a proper scientist's viewpoint, but having, um, having more scientists involved in the overall discussion, can I say, yes, this is a problem that isn't a problem, etc., can build mm-hmm. up a, a proper vision of, of what we are talking about. Because often, um, you know, as I said, when people are arguing, they, they shout past each other and things are thrown and they, they might not even be arguing about the same thing at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really good. And hopefully, like, this conversation can just do, like, it's a little piece in helping to, like, um, push things further in both of us. And, you know, it's just one person at a time. And if we can win one person at a time and, you know, things got to be bit better if we can get people um, one person at a time. So, Anything else, Durant? I've really enjoyed this conversation. Durant, um, why can I not get that name right? It's killing me. I'm oh, so you're, sorry. Don't worry. You're, um, you're not, not the first. It's because it's, it's, it's a Welsh name and, and uh, people change the G automatically. So I, completely aside, I introduced myself as Geraint and people respond to me with Geraint straight away. I think mm-hmm. they assume that I can't even pronounce my own name. So um, I'm used to it. <laughs> well, that this conversation been peaceful, but peaceful, but something that may be hostile is like, we got Wales versus USA in the World Cup coming up in a couple of months. Like, yeah. you have any opinion on that? Like, whew, that's going to be Well, yeah. I, I mean, look, it's the first time we've been in the World Cup for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, we're, we're not the greatest soccer nation. If it was a rugby match, I think I'd feel more confident. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Again, look, I, I, I am very proud of my home country. Uh, mm. I want them to do well, but it's not the end of the world if they don't come away with a big trophy at the end of the tournament. The fact that they qualified, that's pretty good. Well, I think the Americans that care about soccer are going to like go down streets and with torches and pitchforks if we lose. So it's maybe a little bit <laughs> well, different over here. Yeah. I think haven't we got England in the same group as well. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. So, yeah. yeah. So that's where the real rivalry starts is, is Wales versus England, but not Wales versus the USA. <laughs> we'll take it um great this has been a super fun conversation um anyway people can like what's the best way for people to like follow and connect with you if they want to like see more of you and your work okay um i'm on twitter uh, at cosmic underscore horizons and i've got a website uh which i need to get back to i've been teaching i haven't had a chance to update things recently but i i do post uh, various things there as well and look i'm happy to take questions either said on twitter or via my website, and I, I, I always try and answer a, a decent question. 
Oh, Grant, um, I'll put a link down below um, where people can follow you with connect with you. Um, but thank you so much. This has been great. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And yeah, I encourage people to check out um, Grant's work. So thank you so much. And thank you to everyone for tuning in. Um, this is here in Apologetics. If you're new, feel free to like leave a like and subscribe, all that fun stuff. Really appreciate you and support. Um, and if you value what you, we do, um, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com. So I should hear in Apologetics. That'd be huge. Um, that's it for today. Um, God bless. And we'll catch you next time.